the hardest thing I think for micro businesses is the idea that they're going to have to spend 20% of their time doing marketing and business development when they're actually still doing work. Business of Architecture, episode 181. Hello, I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the podcast for architects, where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. I'd like to invite you to discover how to double your architecture firm income and create your dream practice of freedom and impact by downloading my free four-part architecture firm profit map. As a podcast listener, you can get instant access by going to freearchitectgift.com. Our guest today is Karen Compton. I'm glad to welcome Karen back to the Business of Architecture show. Karen is the principal at A3K Consulting, which is a firm that focuses on business consulting for small and medium-sized AEC firms. Without further ado, here's today's show. Well, Karen, welcome back to the Business of Architecture my favorite place to be. I've actually <laughs> I love it. I love several it. of my friends. You need to call it to the business of architecture. I love it. Yep. You have a way with words, Karen. You have a way oh, with words. Thank you. So look, we're we're here today to talk about why small firm architects don't earn more money. This is a, a topic that both you and I are pretty passionate about. Oh, we were talking about yeah. it earlier when we chat on the phone and we're just saying Man, you know, there's just so many things that smaller firms could do to improve their processes, to improve their profit. So let's talk about that. And you, okay. you sent me over some talking points. I'm just going to pull that up here and let's talk about why. And perhaps you have a list, but why don't? Let's just start at the top. You know, what in your experience, why don't small firm architects make more money? The money they earn for okay. their creative efforts. Okay, so let's really start at the beginning. Um, and, and the real beginning to this all is that I truly don't believe that most small firms, most small practices truly know their numbers. They don't realize and don't understand what the key performance indicators are for their business. And as a result, they kind of run blind. They can't truly make informed decisions. They can't really make business decisions. They assume they're actually profitable when oftentimes they're not. Um, and so there's real no clear, uh, really no clear understanding of what are the metrics that actually drive architecture or, or any practice for that matter. And then what do my numbers actually look like and where am I benchmarking relative to that? That's the biggest flaw that I've seen. And I see it with firms that are um, unfortunately 20, 25 years in practice and I sit down and say, okay, what's your multiplier? What's your overhead rate? Um, what's your labor cost? And they just look at me with these kind of blank stares um, without really truly understanding what those numbers actually are and what they mean and why they should care. Do you have some anecdotes that you can share with us, some stories where you sit down with these clients, these principals? You know, they're, they're obviously smart businessmen and businesswomen. That's why they, they're running an architecture firm. And then when you just began to take a look at these metrics, what does that do for a firm? Take me through that process. So when I first sit down with a client and talk to them about their business, I really am trying to understand where have they truly struggled. And, and many of those struggles have really truly been around this particular area, metrics. You know, how do I actually make money? Where do I make money? How do I lose money? Where am I losing money? And so oftentimes the conversation begins with, okay, can you at least show me your profit and loss statement or show me your balance sheet? Um, in most cases, and in all honesty, a lot of firms can't show you that. What they can show you is a checkbook balance. Your check registry is not a place from which to run your business. It's a place from which to pay your taxes, 
pay pay your vendors, but you really can't run a you can't run a business that way. You really need to move to a platform that at least allows you to aggregate expenses um, and income, so that you can begin to run some of the metrics that we're talking about. And honestly. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in and somebody hands me a checkbook or hands me a box of receipts and says, I don't know where I am. I worked with a firm um, up until about a month or two ago and very well established, very reputable firm. They basically build out prototypical uh, uh, retail franchises for a, a very large national food retailer. They didn't have a profit and loss statement. They didn't have a balance sheet. They were running a $2.5 million company out of a checkbook. Come on, Karen. There's no way that that many firms out there are running companies based upon the bank account. <laughs> yes, they are. I have, a, I have a client. love her. Absolutely love her. Uh, she's been in business 25 years in a national, national landscape architectural practice. And we, when I first sat down with her some 15 years ago, I said, okay, what's your profit? And she said, what's left in the bank? And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's not it. And so we had to have a real basic conversation around, you know, what is revenue? What's the difference between revenue and sales? Um, what is the ratio between your expenses and your direct labor so that you have an understanding of your overhead? Um, what does a balance sheet tell you versus what does a profit and loss sheet tell you? And I am by no means what I would consider the financial expert. But what I think I am is a real solid business strategist that really tries to give small firms a starting point to be able to say, this is where we are to begin with today. And let's talk about where you want to go and grow and come up with that plan. But that plan has to be supported by numbers. And so what is the process when someone doesn't have these numbers? What process do they need to go through to get this information to compile it so they can then have those numbers like the multiplier, like the utilization? Okay. So my this is not an endorsement by any stretch of the imagination. I think the simple, simplest way to go, honestly, uh, QuickBooks actually makes a real simple product. There's one called QuickBooks for Professional Services. Dell Tech is a very complicated system, but nonetheless, they do have a platform for small business um, that is put out by Intuit. Um, these are more. And, and I, I have to mention ArchiOffice. They've been a, a strong supporter of the podcast, so definitely want to throw in the plug for them as well. I, I, I have used them as well. They all make very good, very um, intuitive software platforms that I believe small businesses can use to input at least their labor and expenses. From that, the reports themselves are really more or less a click of a button. If you want to run a report on a profit and loss statement, you click it. And if you want to run a balance sheet, you run a balance sheet. But at least the numbers are there. But you, it's really difficult to run, truly run a business out of a checkbook because all that is is an account of dollars in and account of dollars out. It's not telling you how effectively you're using that, using those numbers. It's not telling you how much debt do you have relative to your assets. Could you actually get a line of credit or are you too far in debt? It doesn't tell you anything about the multiplier, which is the ratio of your expenses to your direct labor. It doesn't tell you anything about your job costing, which is the second place that small businesses lose money. They don't have a clear understanding of what is the cost of an actual project, what is the profit that's built into it, 
And where do they lose money? That's the second common area. Okay, so when you come in and you start to compile these numbers, what are some of the key things that you start to see? Because uh, apparently, you know, I'm sure they will reveal themselves. That's the whole purpose of doing the measurement. You'll start to see the problem areas. Are there any common problem areas that you see that are consistent or is it just kind of all across the board? Okay, so depending upon how small the business is, and, and keep in mind, I kind of categorize small into micro businesses, which are one to five people, and then emerging growth businesses, which are five to 10, and then small is really 10 to maybe about 15 or 20. And each one of those categories behaves quite differently. If we're talking about a micro business or even an emerging business, what I often find is that I'm actually dealing with um, clients that are basically running a lot of expenses through their business and if their intent is to be able or if their intent is to do that are you there okay sorry if the intent is to do that because it's what we call a lifestyle business I have no issues with that the, the challenge is however if you come to me and say I want to be a corporate entity then you can only run corporate expenses through your business and you can't run your personal expenses through your business. So when I first sit down, the most common thing that I see, Enoch, is that there are a lot of personal expenses that need to be um, need to either be taken out or removed or recategorized or redistributed. That's the most common problem. Once I take those out of the equation and we're really truly looking about business expenses, it's really truly understanding what are they. Um, do you have reproduction costs? If so, how are you managing them? Are you billing for them? Um, uh, what else? Labor costs usually are pretty straightforward. Most people do a very good job at least of tracking labor because they have to pay for it. But it, it really kind of falls into those kind of two categories. That's where I start to see things kind of shake out. Do you find that firm owners are pretty good about uh, including their own salary and their own compensation in that direct labor number? No, they're absolutely horrible. They kind of lie to themselves, actually, and take their salary out of it. And, and really, the only person they're hurting in doing that is themselves. Um, so let me go back. Uh, about three or four months ago, I actually had one of my clients. I, I get, handed her a timesheet. And I said to her, you're going to fill out a timesheet for me for a month. And she said, I haven't had to fill out a timesheet for anybody. And I said, you're going to fill out a timesheet for me because I really want to see exactly what are you doing with your time. And about halfway through the second week, she stopped doing it and she called me in absolute frustration and she said, I get the point. And I said, what's the point that you finally got? She said, I spend a lot of time, nights, weekends, early mornings, and I do not aggregate what I'm doing on overhead. Like, ding, ding. And exactly what are you doing on overhead? And she's like, well, I'm trying to do my books. I'm trying to figure out my profit and loss. I'm trying to actually do my payroll. What she figured out, Enoch, was that um, she was actually spending a lot of time trying to be a bookkeeper, and she sucked. What she really is is a really good civil engineer, and the business decision was that we hired her a bookkeeper so that she was actually using her time in the best ways. Owners do a horrible job in terms of booking their time for non-billable work, and they really need to because it goes into your overhead calculation. You and, have to be paid. 
And so what, what are the effects someone has if they're, if they're running a business, they think they're making money, but they're not including all of that overhead like you're talking about. At the end of the day, I mean, why, why should that matter? Well, it matters because at the end of the day, what they find is they have an incorrect understanding of whether or not they are or are not making money. Um, I can't tell you how many small firms say to me, well, I don't really take a salary. Oh, okay, but why don't you take a salary? You're in business to make money so that you can earn a living. If you can't draw a salary, then maybe you should consider doing something completely different. So there has to be a means and a mechanism by which the business itself actually generates sufficient revenue to cover the owner's salary. And unfortunately, that ugly thing in architecture called insurance because it's extremely expensive and we have to have it. So there's no there's no escaping the fact that we have costs associated with the intellectual capital that we generate. And to be fair to ourselves, we must recover those costs in terms of our salaries. It makes a huge difference at the end of the day. Okay, so the first things we talked about, we talked about uh, getting those personal expenses out. Uh, we talked about the second one was that was a set. Oh, geez, it slipped my mind. Is the second one getting a bookkeeper? What's the what was the second thing? The second one is be honest about what you're actually spending your time on as an owner. If you you're go. spending 60% of your time as an owner on administration, and that administration is not going to Staples or Office Depot or whatever it happens to be for you and buying books and pencils and pens or whatever, but truly in doing you know, bookkeeping and, and things that are really truly not in your strong suit, then you need to do a trade-off analysis and understand is your time best spent in, in doing that or is it best served in design? Is it best served in going out and getting more work and paying someone $30 an hour, $40 an hour to actually do books? And what you might really very well find is the answer is yes, I need to go and get somebody to finally handle some of these things, either because we're not, you're not doing them correctly, that's very common, um, or it's just too much time. Uh, on the part of an owner to be able to do, especially in a micro business. In a micro business, every minute counts. You know, we need to be as billable as we possibly can and we need to be looking for new work and new opportunities. It's hard to do that when you're just trying to, you know, write out checks. Very time consuming. And what kind of savings do you usually see? So if you if you go in and, and you find out that after really taking into account all of the time that they spend doing overhead, uh -huh. and you, you, get, you throw out a figure, maybe 60% on admin and you know only 40% is actually doing billable or chargeable work. Where do you shoot to get them to in terms of those percentages? If someone's listening, where can they, you know, where should they aim for in terms of administrative versus actual chargeable work? So it, again, it's going to depend on the size of the firm. But in general, what I have found is that my owners who are very critical and take that kind of critical path or critical analysis towards looking at where they truly spend their time, they usually generate about 18% savings back to them by giving up things like bookkeeping or general administration. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you look at that 18% at the end of the year, that's profit. Uh, most of us in architecture would love to have 18% profit. So if, if you can get, if you can generate that by simply looking at and redistributing 
um, tasks that you're using your billable time for at $150, $160 an hour to do and redistributing them to somebody who's making $30 an hour, $40 an hour. Yes, there's a there's a, a decline or a decrease between your $150 and their $35 or $40 that you're paying them. But you can be much more productible, productive in terms of doing billable work, going out and marketing work, um, you know, promoting your company. That's where I really need you to focus. That is excellent. And that sounds like a big win for our listeners. So hopefully that's, you know, they can take this strategy, they can go out there and implement it, shoot to have more of their time spent on revenue generating things like business development and marketing, which you mentioned. You know, if, if a person is maybe a sole practitioner or a firm of about 10 people, what would you say mm-hmm. is reason, reasonable or what would you recommend in terms of time to spend on marketing and business development? Oh, okay. So... These metrics kind of vary all over the map, but as a rule of thumb, and and I know none of your listeners are going to want to hear this, but about 20 to 25% of your time needs to be on marketing and business development. And if you think about it, think about it as a glass. You have to constantly fill the glass in order to drink out of it. And if you wait until it actually is completely depleted, then you you have to offset all the more. So marketing and business development has to be an ongoing effort. It cannot be when you have time. The hardest thing, I think, for micro-businesses is the idea that they're going to have to spend 20% of their time doing marketing and business development when they're actually still doing work. In a micro-business, the typical model is, well, I'll wait until I don't have work and then I will go and market work again. But the run-up, meaning the marketing time, the sales cycle, if you will, depending upon the size of the project, is anywhere between three months and 12 months. So if you wait until you're out of work, then you're not just out of work for a short period of time. You're out of work for that run-up, meaning the sales cycle, to actually develop the client, develop the contract, you know, secure the work, and then finally be able to start the work. And then it's another 30 days before you can bill it. That's six to nine months. You, you have to constantly be marketing. And I, and I know people are going to hate to hear that, but I'm sorry. Well, so if we're talking 20 to 25%, that is one day of every week. If you look at a yes, five, a five days, a five, five day work week, we're talking one day, you know, spent on marketing and business development. Well, Karen. Bye. this is a great place to end this episode i would love let's jump into our our next segment and we'll discuss a little bit more about marketing and business development where their focus should be and some of the other reasons why small architecture firm owners don't aren't earning the money that they truly deserve and that is a wrap thank you for listening today if you're looking for more time freedom impact and income as an architect Get instant access to my free four-part architect profit map by visiting freearchitectgift.com. The sponsor for today's show is ArchReach, the client relationship management tool built specifically for architects. If you want to systematize your marketing and business development, ArchReach will help you do it. Visit archreach.com to learn more.
The views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the host, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.